Well, welcome into another special edition of the nation's college basketball show and podcast. I am very simply the humble host, TJ Reeves. Wherever you're joining us, hopefully you're staying safe as we're all social distancing, isolating, and trying to get through the coronavirus scare of 2020. Hopefully soon things can begin to resume, at least partially back to normal. But for right now, we've got to be safe. Uh, with the outbreak that's gone on that has basically canceled everything, including the sports in our lives, including March Madness. But we are here. Fear not. We are here mainly to reminisce on this edition of the show about the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 games of years gone by because that was supposed to be this weekend, starting actually right now uh, with Thursday, March the 26th at the time that I'm taping this and saying these words and putting this out. So... I look forward to reminiscing because we don't have these games uh, that were going to be played between the 16 remaining teams whittling down to eight remaining teams. And by Sunday night, we were supposed to know the final four that would head to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. But instead, with arenas and stadiums quiet, no games being played, all we're left with is memories. But man, do we have a lot of them. Let me tell you what we've got on the show uh, here. Uh, just tremendous stuff, if I do say so here. Up first is my longtime friend and colleague, Dave Woloshin, who uh, is the uh, iconic historian and voice of Memphis sports. And uh, Wolo has been on the Memphis play-by-play for some 30 years on television and radio now, uh, actually going on about 35 years for television and radio. So I love his insight, and he was a part of so many huge games uh, in Memphis history in the Sweet 16, in the Elite Eight. We're going to talk about going all the way back to 1985. This is my alma mater now. Special place in my heart uh, here on the podcast to talk about the 85 team going to the Final Four. The three Big East schools were there, Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova, and Memphis State made it on a Sweet 16 weekend in Dallas, Texas, Uh, where they knocked off Boston College with Gary Williams as the head coach, Dana Kirk, Andre Turner, Keith Lee, William Bedford, and those Memphis State Tigers then defeated Billy Tubbs, Wayman Tisdale, and the Oklahoma Sooners in the regional final in what was really almost a home-away-from-home game for the Sooners only a couple of hours away in Norman, Oklahoma, to go to the Final Four. So uh, Wolo will reminisce about that, and then he's been on the broadcast of uh, so many great Tiger memories of the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. I have great affection for the 1992 team, Penny Hardaway's first year of playing at Memphis State. Larry Finch, the coach, and the Sweet 16 win over Georgia Tech and John Barry and Travis Best and Bobby Crimmins' team. So we will hear conversation as Wolo was in the building in Milwaukee uh, for the first round and second round games and then in the building in Kemper Arena Uh, as part of the Memphis State run to the Elite Eight that unfortunately ended when Nick Van Exel and and Bob Huggins' team uh, knocked off Memphis again. Memphis State at that time assumed to be the University of Memphis and denied them the Final Four. We won't dwell as much on that, but we'll dwell more. That was my senior year, my final college memory around my team with Penny Hardaway leading the team to the Elite Eight. And of course, that Final Four uh, was set into motion, too, with Christian Leitner hitting the great shot against Kentucky. We've been seeing replays of that game. They made that Final Four. Cincinnati, Michigan, Indiana. Michigan with the Fab Five, the five freshmen. 
So we'll reminisce with Wolo about all of that. And then Wolo wants to talk about the 2008 run with Derek Rose, Chris Douglas Roberts, and the Tigers through the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight deep in the heart of Texas again. Texas always seemingly good to Memphis or Memphis State uh, in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight games. That year in 2008, Derek Rose just annihilated Michigan State and Texas off the dribble as the point guard, as the distributor, as the guy going to the rim. So in any event, we'll uh, we'll reminisce with Dave Woloshin, who's on the air with Brett Norsworthy, another buddy of mine, Stats Norsworthy, and and Wolo holding down afternoons on the all sports radio station, Sports 56 WHBQ. So I get Wolo on the podcast talking and reminiscing Memphis basketball and some of the heroes and some of the yesteryear. Then we'll vary it up and talk with Kenny Anderson. Speaking of Georgia Tech, it was 30 years ago this week. In fact, the anniversary, I believe, was on Wednesday night. Might have been Tuesday night of Georgia Tech winning in the Sweet 16 over um, Michigan State in a thrilling last-second game uh, uh, that came down to Kenny Anderson taking the game-tying shot. They initially thought it was the game-winning shot that Anderson had won with a three-pointer. They went to the TV monitor and said, no, it's a two. We're going to overtime. Georgia Tech won anyway and went on to the Final Four with a win two days later in the Louisiana Superdome over Minnesota. Kenny will reminisce about those games, his memories of going to the Final Four. They were set to honor that Georgia Tech team uh, at the Final Four this year in Atlanta for the 30th anniversary with Bobby Crimmins, Dennis Scott, Brian Oliver, Lethal Weapon 3. Kenny will have thoughts on all of that uh, coming up here when we interview him. You'll love it. You'll enjoy the stories. You won't love it if you're a Michigan State fan, I promise, or a Minnesota fan. But uh, he was only a freshman out of New York City, one of the top players, one of the top recruits in the country coming to Georgia Tech and helping them make a Final Four, so Kenny's got some great stories to tell. And then my buddy, my wingman, Ari Russell, who has been with me for the better part now of 15 years talking college basketball on Sirius XM, on TuneIn, and on this program, College Basketball Coast to Coast. And Ari, a year ago, was in the building for Michigan State, speaking of them, knocking off Duke in the regional final and the Sweet 16. Ari has been at several other Sweet 16s and Elite 8s. I want him to tell me about Madison Square Garden and being there for a regional final, as he has done recently. But also, 2006 and the George Mason Patriots as an 11 seed, Ari was right there, courtside, to watch George Mason pull off one shocking win over, over uh, Michigan State. There they are again over North Carolina, eventually Wichita State, and then the number one overall seed, the Yukon Huskies, beating them in overtime to advance to the Final Four as uh, George Mason was one of the original Cinderella's to make it all the way to that Final Four. Ari was courtside in downtown D.C. for that. He'll relate the stories, and I look forward to talking with him uh, to close out the podcast and reminisce. A reminder that however you found this show, through a social media link, a web posting anywhere, uh, subscribe to it on iTunes, on Spotify, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast, you can find College Basketball Coast to Coast. Subscribe, and the latest edition will come automatically to you. We'll be talking Final Four memories next week. I may have so many people to talk to that I might do a couple of podcasts in and around Final Four week and weekend. So we don't have the games themselves, but we can definitely reminisce. So subscribe, rate us and review us as well, and it will move up on the rankings 
again, through iTunes, through Spotify, through Google Podcasts, and through Spreaker. So subscribe away to College Basketball Coast to Coast. Without further delay, Dave Wolosian straight ahead talking Memphis memories. Kenny Anderson and the Georgia Tech 1990 Sweet 16 and Elite 8 to go to the Final Four. Ari Russell later in the show with more Sweet 16 Elite 8 memories. We don't have the games. We're ready to reminisce. Here we go. Been looking forward to this opportunity to reminisce. Again, I have been friends with this man, or I should say he's put up with me for the better part of about 30 years. Love the inside of Wolo. Dave Woloshin, he and Brent Norsworthy on in the afternoons on Sports 56 WHBQ, the all-sports radio station in Memphis. And Wolo has been associated with the Memphis or the Memphis State radio broadcast going all the way back to the mid 1980s. First of all, I hope you are safe. I know you're still working five days a week, even though we've got social uh, distancing and isolation going on because of the coronavirus scare. But I wanted to lighten it up. And if there's anybody I can go to that is the authority on Memphis basketball, Memphis State and Memphis basketball, it's this guy in terms of a historian of the program. And he's been on the play-by-play call of so many big moments in Tiger history. So it's great to have you. Welcome in. I know it's an odd time. We've got no games. We've got the coronavirus going on. So uh, thank you for doing this and helping me reminisce. Well, I, I, I feel like uh, I'm a correspondent here. And there was a guy uh, named Ernie Piles who, who used to be a, a war correspondent. And uh, I sort of feel like we're doing that now. So I'm, 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 I'm digging into coronavirus numbers and there's a thing called the dashboard and there's a website from johns hopkins so i'm keeping up that way and you know just trying to help people out going in every day still uh at uh, uh my station which is sports 56 in memphis we've sort of isolated my partner is staying home i'm going in and and so uh, basically i see on the other side of the glass a producer and then i'm by myself and and we do have guests that we take like you, uh, over the phone. So we're, we're practicing uh, safe distance, social distancing, as they say now. Now, when I agreed to do this, we're stopping at Sweet 16, right? Because I, I have a rule. Well, no, no, no. That... We can do Sweet 16. We can do Elite Eight. But we're not going to do Final Four yet because I, like you, have got to have yeah. other shows and other programming. So that'll, like, that'll be next wow. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be next week. Well, here, here, but here, here is my rule. I, I never speak of 2008 CBS. <laughs> <laughs> those those despicable people had to replay the 2008 championship game. Now I have a friend that many people may be familiar with, who's who's now passed unfortunately, uh, and that was George Klein. And GK used to say that on my grave, I want to remember this forever. They should have up nine with two twelve to go on my headstone, uh-huh. and and, uh, and so we will never ever. Uh, speak of that. I can't look at the video. I understand. Hey, hey. All right. So, yes. So, I was there with you in the Alamo Dome. That's a Final Four National Championship memory. But we're going to talk about, I pledge to you, we're going to talk about the happier times of that tournament run and other ones in and around the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight for the former Memphis State University, which I graduated from and now known as the University of Memphis. Um, but I, I did one more note. I did find it uh, somewhat humorous with the seriousness of COVID-19 and all the briefings that CBS was preempting and local news was preempting in different states the rebroadcast of that game last Sunday afternoon. And there were Kansas fans in particular going crazy that we're going to miss the end, the best, the best part. And my, my response was, 
uh, from a distance. Good, good. I don't want to watch it again. I don't want to see it again uh, to relive it again. So there's different perspectives on, on that. All right. So the first thing is we can talk rich tradition history of Memphis basketball going all the way back to the 70s and Larry Finch, the late Larry Finch, who yep. later became the coach as a player leading that 73 team with Ronnie Robinson and his teammates to the Final Four in St. Louis. Uh, and that run, that obviously predates me, and it actually predates Wolo a little bit because we're we're contemporaries, but that's going in the way back. I really picked this up with the Dana Kirk 1985 team. You were in Memphis uh, at this time working radio, although not on the call of the games, the legendary Jack Eaton, Memphis uh Sports television personality and voice of the Tigers was on the call in 85. But I remember that so fondly with Andre Turner, Keith Lee, Dana Kirk's the coach, Larry Finch is the assistant. And that Sweet 16 run was a last-second shot by Andre Turner to beat Boston College and then hang on and upset number 1 seed Oklahoma in Dallas to go to the Final Four. Wolo, what do you remember uh, about that time period. I'm a teenager. I'm at a distance. I'm not even living in Memphis at that time, but I'm going crazy watching on TV. What do you remember about the town, that Sweet 16, and obviously the the chance to go back to the Final Four, which came through when they beat Oklahoma and ended up going to Lexington, Kentucky? Well, I, I remember that William Bedford was unbelievable in the Boston College game. He had 23 points. Andre was terrific uh, in that game. Keith was really kind of quiet in that game. He was only 3 of 12. But other people stepped up for him in the Oklahoma game. Well, that 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 was that was amazing how they they shut down Women Tisdale had only eleven points and two rebounds or one rebound in that game, and that was just unbelievable defense that was put on by the University of Memphis in that game. Uh, Dwayne Bailey put the D on Tisdale. Lee put the D on Tisdale. Bedford was outstanding again. Another good game by Andre. I mean, those 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 moments were just incredible in Dallas. Well, and again, give the give the sense because I was not there when they won that game. It was a Saturday afternoon game that clinched going to the Final Four. Best as you can recollect, everybody's going berserk. Uh, correct in the River City because you're going back to the Final Four and, and you have to yeah. understand Memphis State Memphis basketball has been king for decades and now they were going back to the Final Four right? They were and you know this had actually become kind of a nifty little rivalry I can't remember how many games but I can remember Tisdale a couple of years earlier coming into what was then the home the Mid-South Coliseum that's two venues uh, b- before the one we've got now and uh, a, a guy named Derek Phillips was a big man who was really a screen setter defensive player and helped Keith Lee flourish. And he had shut down Wayman Tisdale, and they didn't know if they could do it again without Phillips, and they did it in that game. And that's the one that propels them to Lexington for the Final Four, where, of course, they faced a Villanova team that was just too much. Well, and then that was the first ever and the only one where three teams from the same conference, the Big East, Georgetown, St. John's, Villanova made the Final Four. Memphis State is the answer to the trivia question of who was the other team yeah. that was in there. But like the Kansas game, 
We're not here to talk about the Final Four loss to Villanova. We're only talking about happy no. memories of the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight with Dave Woloshin, uh hanging with me here. I'll make mention of it here, and I hope, I hope that in doing this and publicizing this, that the, the guy's YouTube page doesn't get taken down because he's got a goldmine, Wolo, of these games. This guy, if you search Memphis State-Oklahoma 1985 NCAA tournament on YouTube, you will see the full-length broadcast Wolo with Frank, the late Frank Gleber and James Brown as the analyst. James Brown, who's wow. now the CBS NFL Today football host, was the longtime uh, Fox Sports NFL host, Fox Sports NFL Sunday with Terry Bradshaw, etc. And before that, he was a longtime fixture on CBS as a play-by-play guy, as a host. Uh, he was with Jim Nance in the studio for a lot of the late 80s and the early 90s and then later did play-by-play himself. But he was the analyst of that Memphis-Oklahoma game because and I even popped Wolo with this off the air. James Brown was a basketball player as well as a football player at Harvard. So they were using him as the game analyst with the late Frank Gleber on that Oklahoma-Memphis State call going back to the regional final 1985 reunion arena in Dallas uh, where it happened. So it's great to relive that. Go search that. Uh, on YouTube. Also on YouTube, a couple of other uh, tournament runs by the Tigers, my beloved alma mater. The 92 run is special to me because that was my senior year. I had already been befriended by the legendary Dave Woloshin, and he and I were uh, commiserating about all things Memphis State basketball at that time. Memphis State that year was in Milwaukee and beat Pepperdine and beat arch rival Arkansas in the second round game. Mm-hmm. And then advanced to Kemper Arena and played Sweet 16 against Georgia Tech. I remember that game like it was yesterday. What do you remember about the Tigers pulling off an overtime Sweet 16 win? This is Penny Hardaway for Memphis State. This is John Barry, Travis Best for Georgia Tech and Bobby Cremins. What what do you remember about that 92 Sweet 16 win, Kemper Arena? Because I remember it all. What do you remember? Well, I, 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 I'm going to go back a week in, in, in Milwaukee that you mentioned, and they knocked off a good Pepperdine team that, that was a scary team, and Penny was great in, in that particular game. So was a, a guy that was his rival, Billy Smith. And then in the Arkansas game, David Vaughn, who was the nephew of Coach Larry Fitz, yep. he was outstanding. So then we go to Kansas City, and that was, that was a year of a lot of crazy finishes. And this one was in overtime, and, and the Tigers were able to outlast uh, a great Bobby Cremins team that had Mackey and Forrest and Barry and Travis Best on that team. Uh, and Barry had 29 points in that game, but Penny Hardaway was just outstanding. He had 24 points. I can't remember how many assists, but just he, he was terrific. Uh, a kid named Anthony Douglas, who had maybe the biggest rear end you ever saw. He was the greatest boxer out. He wasn't <laughs> all that tall, and he couldn't really jump, but he was a great rebounder because he was just so fundamentally sound. He was outstanding in that game. And, you know, it was back and forth, and, and all that talent that Kremens had, you know, it scared the, the, the heck out of you. You never, ever felt at all like this game was in hand. You... you you know, the, the Titans were actually down by six at the half, and I'm thinking, oh, this has been a great run, but, you know, it, it, it's really not going to happen. Penny's going to have to be amazing, and he was. Uh, and, and they come back, and they tie the game up, and then uh, they, they, have, they have did Georgia Tech by four in the overtime, winning by those four, and that set it up to 
play, guess who? A team that has beaten you three times in the regular season. And, and, and in the conference thinking, tournament. Oh and goodness. in the conference tournament. And Cincinnati. Cincinnati, right. Yeah. Well, Cincinnati, and, and here here is a, uh, a stat that I don't know how many people are aware of. Memphis lost that game 88-57 in the regional final, the game to go to the Final Four. And it was the fourth time that year they lost. And each time they played them, they lost by more points. Nick Van Axel was just the Tiger killer. Uh, you know, 22 points in that game, but he just was able to slow down Penny. And, uh, um, and, and Memphis just, I think, stopped believing, particularly after they lost in the conference tournament. They just didn't think they could beat Cincinnati, and that wasn't indeed the case. Well, and the Bearcats, Bob Huggins, the coach, you mentioned Van Exel. They went to the Final Four by virtue of that win. Uh, a couple days later, but I, I got a nugget for you in the overtime, and you feel free. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have time to reminisce, not just on this podcast, but you can do this on your show. I come on your show when that Memphis State team beat Georgia Tech in the overtime game, Sweet Sixteen. They did so in the overtime without making a field goal. All of the points at the foul line, and the current Memphis State assistant, Penny Hardaway, is now the Memphis uh, head coach. I said Memphis State. The current Memphis assistant is Tony Madlock, who was yeah. a tremendous point guard in his day in the in the late eighties and the early nineties. Tony Madlock made the crucial four free throws. The Tigers made all six. Uh, free throws they needed to in the overtime. That's the only points they scored. And then they hung on defensively and won the overtime game. As we Again, we talked Sweet 16 and Elite 8 memories with Dave Wolosha. And now I'm coming to the fun stuff. Let's fast forward to the 2008 run. John Calipari, yeah. Derek Rose. That's my favorite. All right, here we go. Chris Douglas Roberts. The Sweet 16 Elite 8 round. Uh, it had not been good to the Tigers the previous two years. Had lost in the 06 Elite Eight to UCLA uh, in a game that will never, never be showcased as great college basketball. What was the final of the 06 regional final 50, UCLA? What was it? 50 to 45. Oh. Most people claimed it to be the ugliest Elite Eight <laughs> game in the history I, of the that. NCAA tournament. I, I, I will tell you, uh, Memphis in that game was two of seventeen from three point uh, range. UCLA was two of eight. Uh, it, it, it was ugly, even from the free throw line. UCLA kept Memphis in the game by missing nineteen free throws. They were twenty of thirty nine. The Tigers only took fifteen, and they were nine of fifteen. It was a game where no one could figure out how to play offense. Ben Howland was famous at UCLA for figuring out how to stop people. And he had guys that are playing in the NBA. And the, Amute was on that team. Afwala was on that team. Right. Collison was on that team. I, they were a ball club. Memphis did a great job defensively of shutting them down. The star offensively, one of the top five scorers in the history of the school is Rodney Carney. He was 2 of 12. And at the end of the game, I'll, I'll I'll never forget this. It was pretty clear he did not want the ball. He had just figured he did not have it that day. And there was nobody who could really step up uh, and take over for him. And unfortunately, uh, just nobody could score in that game. It, yeah. was, it was amazing. I, I actually yeah. was a kid named Darius Washington who was more famous for later in his career missing free throws against, UC, uh, against Louisville in a, 
in a conference final that would have sent Memphis to the final to the uh, NCAA tournament. Yeah, and and I actually uh, preempted talking about two nights earlier. Now Memphis. I believe beat Bradley, am I correct, in the Sweet 16 game, I think, in Oakland? Or you can correct me uh, looking at it. I don't have that right in front yeah, of me. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, All right, so they that, beat. That was an easy, easy win. Okay, easy so Memphis had beaten run. Bradley, right, to go to the Elite Eight game to maybe play UCLA. And UCLA was in big trouble against Mark Few's Gonzaga team with Adam Morrison and the iconic image of the UCLA comeback and then Morrison on the floor crying uh, is seen oh, everywhere. You were in the arena that night. Uh, you stayed around to watch. Oh. Tell me more about that. Well, I, I was I was sitting sort of in the end zone, and um, the uh, ending of that game was surreal because Gonzaga had a ten point lead in the final two minutes of the game, and it was it was a little bit like what would happen with Memphis in in two thousand and eight, uh, and Gonzaga just absolutely let it get away and it was a surreal scene because it it hit adam morrison so hard he was the star i really thought he'd be a great nba player the guy had it all i thought and this this just absolutely crushed him and he literally collapsed a little bit like darius washington did at the free throw line but this is after the game is over and he's so disconsolate he he you could not at all get him back to his senses. He was just on the floor, crushed, sitting up and crying. It, I remember, was, well, I remember it was an amazing scene. His, his Gonzaga teammates on TV, they came over and tried, and even the UCLA yeah. players were trying to congratulate him, right? You saw that, right. too, and he, right. he was there for 60 seconds, maybe there for two minutes, just could not accept yeah, what like had happened, minutes. right? right? It, was, it, it seemed like forever to me. It was, it was at least two minutes. And everybody was trying to prop him up because they knew he was such a great player. And, you know, Gonzaga hadn't gotten to the Final Four at that point, and they, they you know, that was probably one of their best shots, and it just did not happen. And and, and he was so crushed. It, the only other moment I can think of where you saw a soul just so deflated would, would have been Adam Morrison and Darius Washington. Yeah. Missing those free throws. All right, so the next year, the Tigers won again in the Alamo Dome in the Sweet 16, but then Greg Oden and Mike Conley Jr. in Ohio State denied them the Final Four in Atlanta. But I, I want to talk about the happier memories as we talk Sweet 16 and Elite Eight with Dave Wolosian. Well, he, hold, hold, yeah, yeah, go hold, ahead. Hold yeah. one second. Let's go back to that, that, that game with Ohio State in the Alamo Dome. The year before we go back there to play in the Final Four, but before that game, Memphis had a great big man named Joey Dorsey, who was built like Adonis. And Joey is a good player. I, I think he actually, to this day, is still playing overseas somewhere and, and did you know get enough games where he'll get a pension in the NBA. Never a star, but a really solid guy who had some leaping ability and was strong as could be. Did not have a lot of other skills besides that, but has made a nice career for himself. Well, he basically was tired of hearing about Odom. And he, he, he basically said, Odom who? To <laughs> some reporter. That became bulletin board material, and Odom absolutely, with Mike Conley Jr., absolutely killed the University of Memphis in that Sweet 16 game. 
Yep. Or Elite Eight game. In the Elite Eight yeah. game, but deny them the Final Four. So that was in the Alamo Dome that year. But I want to talk about the next year, still in the state of Texas, as we talk with Dave Woloshin here. You hear uh, Wolo in the afternoons on Memphis Radio on Sports 56 WHBQ. You can go to sports56whbq.com right now to hear he and Brett Norsworthy, Brett Stats Norsworthy, mix it up every afternoon talking Memphis uh, stuff and, and some uh, you know, some sports, some about the coronavirus, et cetera, et cetera. He's doing uh, fantastic work five days a week right now, but he's reminiscent about Tiger basketball with me. All right, so my alma mater had another great run because they got a freshman by the name of Derek Rose out of Chicago to come be with another solid player, uh, NBA prospect in Chris Douglas Roberts. John Calipari's 08 team was... First team All-American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 08, the 08 team was undefeated right into into like early February, late January, early February, before uh-huh. Tennessee beat that team and was one of the favored teams to go to the Final Four, if not win the whole thing. So Sweet 16 was Michigan State before Elite Eight was Texas. These games were in Houston in the football stadium, NRG Stadium. What do you remember, Dave Wolotion, about Sweet 16, Elite Eight, 08? Well, can I go back one week sure. for a, a, a second? It, sure. It, it Memphis took the little drive, and that's what we did to Little Rock, and uh, about two and a half hours away, and uh, or less. And in, in Little Rock, they, they crushed UT Arlington, but then they played Mississippi State. And you remember Tyler Hansborough, he had a brother who was playing for Mississippi State, and this game was a close game. I mean, Memphis had a, a lead of nine in the uh, uh, at the half, but Mississippi State scored 47 points in the second half. Memphis is up two with, I'm going to say, four or five seconds left. And Tyler Hansborough's brother, who's first name escapes me at the moment i think it was russell does that sound right russell hands bro i think that's right uh, maybe so but Hansborough takes this shot and i think it's in and it rims and rims and comes out and the tigers get the rebound they get fouled they end up winning that game by a point uh three points 77 74 but had that gone in uh the the uh the U of M would have lost that game, and I, I believe it would have been 77-76. Memphis would have lost that game had it gone in. So they just barely win it. And now now everybody thinks, okay, there's some invincibility here. They're, they're, uh, they're not as strong uh, as, as uh, everybody thinks. And they go to NRG Stadium now. It was called Reliance Stadium, the home of the Houston Texans. And so you're going to play Michigan State. If you win that game, most likely you're going to play the University of Texas, which is going to be filled with orange, right? And the U of M's playing Michigan State. The player of the year was a kid named Nigel. He's a guard. And the Tigers absolutely crushed this team from the get-go. They, they literally put the clamps on this kid. He couldn't even get a shot. He only took eight shots, seven of them from three, made two. That was late in the game. The Tigers led in this game at the half, 50 to 20. But Mm-mm. I promise you, I, I don't remember exactly the score, but it was something like 30 to 6. Memphis just came out roaring, and Michigan State was 
Absolutely well, they had crushed. they had no answer for Rose. I mean, Rose was destroying them off the dribble. If he wasn't scoring, he was going end to end. If he wasn't scoring, he was dishing to Douglas Roberts or somebody else for easy baskets. They had no answer for him. I related to you that I'm detached. I'm watching in a sports bar in Tampa with friends of mine, and the friends of mine are saying, this team is going to win the national championship, watching them destroy Michigan State. And I'll tell you what else I remember uh, about that night, not just guarding Drew Neitzel, the the Michigan State player. But Izzo basically went to a strategy because Memphis had been such a notoriously bad free-throw shooting team that with about 12 minutes left in the game, he started bringing guys off the bench, Wolo, you'll remember this, just to foul. Go foul Rose, go foul Douglas Roberts, go foul Dorsey, get them to miss free-throws, but they wouldn't miss the free-throws. So the strategy didn't work. The Memphis team was making the foul shots. Tigers shot 75% of the game, 26 of 35, and the Douglas Roberts. So Calipari was smart. He got the ball in the hands of, of Douglas Roberts and Rose. And CDR went 11 of 12, and Rose went 6 of 7. And they kept it out of the hands of Dorsey, who was not a good free throw shooter, and, and, and they won that game. Now let me get you to the next game, okay? And that is against Texas. And this is a story not many people know about, but Derrick Rose, who was – uh, uh, you know, obviously you could tell from the very beginning he was going to be a great NBA player. And he went on to be rookie of the year and then went in his second year to be MVP. But Rose had an aversion to any kind of needles or shots or anything of that nature. And early in the Texas game, he gets hurt and Texas starts to get a lead. And uh, the, the injury that Rose sustained was a cut over his eye. He wouldn't get stitches, and they're fighting with him, and they bring his brother, <laughs> Reggie Rose, to the locker room to tell him, and, and Barry Phillips is the doc in there, and Tom Merriweather is the doc in there, and they're pleading with him, and Calipari is sending assistance back, get that guy out here, and he wouldn't get it done. And finally, basically, Barry Phillips said, you know what, Derek, we can glue it shut. We'll just glue it and, and figure out what we're going to do later, but we can get you out there if we glue it. Like a boxer. Like a boxer in between rounds, yes. <laughs> exactly. And, and Reggie Rose absolutely made his brother. The only thing that Derrick Rose was ever afraid of, I think, was, was anything medical, especially around his eye. They glued it, he came out, and then Memphis pulled away. They, they, they actually destroyed Texas, too. Uh, after he came back, they outscored him 39-28 and a half and then killed him in the second half, 85-67. That's your final, and on to the Alamo Dome for the final four. Well, what a story, and I, I think I still remember this. You would speak better to it. Half the state of Texas was in that NRG Stadium, in Reliance Stadium. Oh, yeah. I mean, easily 15,000, maybe closer to twenty or 25,000 Texas fans, and Memphis just silenced them that day in the Elite Eight game, right? Well, I, I can remember those Texas fans watching Memphis destroy Michigan State. So first off, before that game starts, they all look to see what had happened with Mississippi State, and they go, well, this team is all hyped. They played in that lousy East. And by the way, it is Ben. It is Ben Hansbrough, the younger brother of Tyler Hansbrough. I looked. So there you go. Keep going. Keep going. Ben Hansbrough. So they're they're all cocky, these Texas fans, and and, and they're they're thinking, just a lot of people were thinking that it was the reason that Memphis had the gaudy numbers was because they played in, in a lousy league. 
And the truth is Memphis was really, really, really good. And um, so after they destroy Michigan State, the Texas fans are going, you know, maybe we underestimated them a little bit, but heck, it's a home game. We're, we're, we're going to beat them at the half. There were Texas fans that were going, you guys are just too good. You guys, And they knew the handwriting was on the wall. <laughs> That's how good the Tigers were. And, of course, UCLA found that out the next game. Uh, uh, and it was sort of a kind of a rematch, not all the same personnel that we had already talked about from San Jose a couple of years earlier. But, uh, you know, that, that, that team had all-stars like Kevin Westbrook on it. And Amute was on that team. Kevin Love was on that team where CDR dumped over – uh, Kevin Love, I mean, that that up until the last two twelve, mm. uh, that was that was just an amazing stretch of games that Memphis played. But that at that weekend was the most dominating weekend I've ever seen by a Tiger team over really good competition, where they just they just took good teams and killed them and just crushed them. That is the voice of Dave Woloshin, who has been the longtime voice of the Memphis Tigers, going on some. Uh, what, 25 uh, years or more? Uh, Since 1986. How about that? TV, TV, TV and radio broadcast. Nobody. He is the number one pick. He is the authority on everything <laughs> Memphis basketball. So I love reminiscing talking Sweet 16, Elite 8. Again, I totally understand the magnitude and the seriousness of what's going on. We're just currently without. We are going through withdrawal cold turkey here without any of these games this weekend. So again, I'm encouraging the audience. I'm going back and reliving the on uh, on YouTube because a lot of them are there or through NCA.com and the vault or the, the game replays that are going on uh, on TV to go back and, and relive these moments. I, I will love going back and reliving Tigers against Michigan State 08 just to watch how dominant Derrick Rose was as you described and then, uh, and then Tigers in Texas silencing the Longhorns uh, in Houston. Hey, one question I've never asked you. I never knew this. I was around you, obviously, uh, for the Final Four. I was not there for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. But being proximity in Houston and then the Final Four being in San Antonio, the Tigers still went ahead and went home, correct, for two or three days and then came like Thursday back to oh, yeah. San Antonio? Or did they stay? What happened? No, no, no. No, no. We, 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 we came home. Uh, and John had his normal routine and his practices and 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 then we 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 went went back out, got on the charter and went uh, uh, back back to well you know several places because we were in Houston the one weekend and then we went to uh, to San Antonio the where, right. where we had been the year before uh, in San Antonio and stayed on the river and that that by the way is just a great place to go uh, as you well know to watch your Final Four because they put up every everybody on the Riverwalk with all those. Great restaurants, right. great places to go get uh, your, your drinks, and, and it, it's uh, just, just. I remember, always, hey, it, I remember coming place. with our colleague Mark Wise and finding you on the Riverwalk and having dinner with you. Um, and Matt Dillon, your, uh, your radio analyst and several other Memphis people were there. We came and found you on the Sunday night, I believe, before the national title game with Kansas. And yes, San Antonio, great final four city. So much history and tradition, uh, for the NCAA tournament with regional finals and the Alamo Dome as a site for some of these, uh, th- these championship games. I still remember this when we're, when we're talking about, uh, the Alamo Dome. Uh, I still remember the 04 Final Four. And again, we're not talking about Final Fours, but that was 
Georgia Tech playing in the title game against UConn. But going back to semifinal Saturday night, I'm on press row, down on the on the third row of press row, when Georgia Tech clinched their game against, I believe it was Oklahoma State. And John Sally, the retired NBA player who had done a bunch yeah. of media afterwards, comes by me and may have had the largest cigar I have ever seen in my life, walking around, he hadn't lit it, walking around with a cigar to celebrate in the Alamo Dome, the things that, uh, the things that you remember. And I do remember um, uh, vividly the, the Tigers wiping out UCLA in the 08 Final Four. And, of course, we just had the Final Four where Villanova uh, clobbered both opponents, including Michigan in the championship game to win the national championship in San Antonio. But, again, those are Final Four memories. I, I love reminiscing about the Sweet 16 and well, the Elite Eight for this it, weekend. Anything else? What else comes to mind? Well, Anything else you want to say? We, as long as we're, we're reminiscing, you know, this has nothing to do with the Final Four, but it has everything to do with NCAA basketball. And I can remember quite vividly one of the great uh, moments that I, I can recall with you listening to your description, as you said to us on the air, what occurred at the SEC yes. uh, uh, tournament. Uh, yeah. uh, tournament when nature forced <laughs> a cancellation. <laughs> Yeah, Wise, Wise and I, Mark Wise and I were on the Sirius XM call. Uh, there were four. There were four people on the play-by-play call, call March of two thousand and eight, uh, Georgia Dome in Atlanta. Uh, Tim Brando was doing the television call with Joe Dean on Jefferson Pilot and SEC's TV network early round game Mississippi State and Alabama that Friday night. Uh, Chris Stewart, our, our buddy Chris Stewart, was the Alabama play, and is the Alabama play-by-play man on the radio. The late Jack Crystal was on the call on Mississippi State's radio broadcast, and T.J. Reeves and Mark Wise were on the call on SiriusXM and SECSports.com's coverage of the tournament on satellite radio. And it's one of the craziest things that anybody could ever go through during any kind of a sporting event. You talk about the earthquake during a World Series game with the Giants and the A's, or you talk about other other situations um, uh, in games. It, it, it's crazy. It's serious to go back and and uh, and think about that. But that was the 08 year right before we all got around each other for the 08 tournament run of Memphis that we're talking about and here's another classic one is my wife is pregnant at that time as you know Wolo with our twin daughters they are five months old uh they are not born yet she's pregnant for five months and she's trying to contact me going are you alive did you get killed going (laughs) to a basketball game and you're never going to get to see the twins what's going on uh that that was a crazy crazy 2008 that's for sure the march memories that we have with it that we think about and we reminisce so i look forward to doing that with you on your show as much as you want to have me here through march and as we go along thank you wolo for hanging with me here on the college basketball coast to coast podcast and telling sweet 16 elite eight stories i could do this for another two hours but we don't we don't have the time to do that Uh, But when it comes to Memphis or Memphis State basketball, I love it, and you're the authority on that. Thank you for the time here. Anything else in closing for the audience or anybody else? Go ahead. The floor is yours. That'll do it. Got to go look at coronavirus numbers. You take care. (laughs) Stay healthy. Always a pleasure to chat with you.
Reminder that straight ahead, we'll hear from Kenny Anderson, the legendary Georgia Tech All-American part of Lethal Weapon 3. Uh, the Georgia Tech 1990 Yellow Jackets that made the Final Four advancing out of New Orleans, beating Michigan State and Minnesota on the Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend. How do they get that nickname? Uh, of Lethal Weapon 3. What about playing for Bobby Crimmins? What does he remember about that tournament run going to the Final Four? Kenny Anderson straight ahead. And then Ari Russell to close out the show with more Sweet 16 Elite 8 memories being courtside for the likes of Michigan State Duke last year, courtside for a South Carolina run at Madison Square Garden to the Final Four, courtside for the George Mason Patriots, the original upset team, unlike uh, Butler after them, or Shaka Smart in Virginia Commons, Commonwealth or uh, Greg Marshall with his gang um, at Wichita State or even Loyola of Chicago uh, with Porter Moser, the head coach, and those guys back three years ago making it uh, the original double-digit mid-major seed to make it into the Final Four on a Sweet 16 weekend, an Elite Eight weekend with George Mason and Ari Russell will tell you all about it. One more reminder, subscribe here to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Spread the word. Wherever you get your podcast, have everybody subscribe, rate us, review us. You'll find us under College Basketball Coast to Coast. Follow us on social media at CBB Coast to Coast. CBB Coast, the number two coast on Twitter. But again, subscribe away and the podcast will come automatically to you. We'll be doing Final Four programming next week with reminiscing i know we don't have any games we're getting through it together i hope i'm providing some uh, relief with reminiscing here on the podcast so without delay subscribe away the podcast will come to you let's get back to the stories the tales with kenny anderson with ari russell still coming it is college basketball coast to coast reliving great moments in the sweet 16 and the elite eight well, it is my pleasure. I always love talking to this guy around this time of the year. It is unusual. We have no games. We will have no Final Four. It is the first time in over 70 years, almost 80 years now, that they've been playing college basketball's championship. We have no tournament. We understand the seriousness of what's going on, but it still doesn't make it a whole lot easier. It does make it easier, though, to reminisce with guys like the former Georgia Tech All-American Kenny Anderson, one of the greats of the college game of the early 90s especially, uh, who's with me now on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Mr. Chibs, how you feeling? It's good to hear your voice. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, man. Same here. It's always great to hear you, and um, great to be on, man. Thank you so much. Well, so when we reminisce, I cannot believe I'm this old of a man, Kenny Anderson. It's 30 years ago <laughs> that Georgia Tech made a run to the Final Four, and a guy named Kenny Anderson helped them get there. Just as a general comment to start, when you think back on 1990 and going to the Final Four, what comes to mind immediately? Maybe it's a couple of things. What do you think about? What do you remember fondly? Oh man! Finally, just that team uh, playing for Coach Crimmins, uh, playing um, Lethal Weapon Three with Dennis Scott, Brian Oliver. That whole year was a very, very interesting uh, learning process. And just everything was. Uh, it just like was like we all we all got along, and we all we were supposed to win. That's we were supposed to win, man. And it's too bad we didn't. But uh, it was a great run. You know, uh, you talk about expectations. Was there a point, uh, ACC tournament, beginning of the NCAA tournament, where you had the feeling, maybe you, Dennis, and Brian had the feeling, we can be in Denver, we can win the national championship? Did you have that confidence, that belief at some point, that March, or maybe even a little earlier? 
Yeah, it was much earlier. I think we started the season uh, 10-0 when we played that big game against Duke, and uh, we lost uh, two points at home. And right then and there, we, we, we was on a mission. I think uh, the way the team got along with Malcolm Mackey, he was out. He was out a big. Uh, Johnny McNeil, uh, Dennis Scott, Brian Oliver, uh, Carl Brown. Uh, we just, you know, we just, we we just hung in there. We just, we was tight. We was a tight group, and we just, we we just knew we was gonna win if the game was close. And that's what basketball, team basketball, is all about. Well, there's no doubt that Georgia Tech found a way. You found your way into the Sweet 16, which uh, that's 30 years ago this week, to play top-seeded Michigan State. You actually had to beat LSU in the game before uh, in a wild game in Knoxville, Tennessee, where LSU, oh, by the way, had Chris Jackson, had Shaq O'Neal. Just to get to the Sweet 16, you guys won a 94-91 track meet game with LSU. Do you remember something, maybe a couple of somethings about that one, just to get to New Orleans? Yeah, I remember it. It was, it was tough. We were down by 16, 18, maybe 20, maybe 20 points. And it was just like, man, we just thought, oh, man, it's coming to an end. And then we just start rallying back with myself, Dennis Scott, Brian Oliver, and um, you know they 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 have Shaq, uh, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, Stanley Roberts, and Chris Jackson. They had a crew. But I just think I think you know they didn't use their big. Uh, you know they 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 thought that they could win with Chris Jackson. And back then, at my freshman year, you wasn't gonna beat us with no perimeter game because it was three. We was on the three was on the perimeter. So we was capable of just beating. I just thought my confidence was so high. We was going to beat anybody, you know, with with a good with a good perimeter uh, perimeter players. You know, if they had a big uh, something that 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 have stopped us, it would be different. And they had it, so it was just it was just interesting on how we played that game. It's very interesting. Well, you guys won it. You advanced on. Uh, here's a fun one. I, in all the times that you uh-huh. and I have talked and I've interviewed you, I've never heard this answer. Who came up first with Lethal Weapon 3? Was it you guys, the players? Was it somebody in the sports information? How did that come? Because the movies were very popular. The yeah. Mel Gibson, Danny yeah. Glover movies were very yeah. popular. But who came up with Lethal Weapon 3, the nickname? Yeah. You guys amongst yourselves? Or what's nah, that story? No, nah, I, I don't know the name of the, of the reporter. He was doing the game and he did it. He he came up with it. Uh, <laughs> I forgot. I forgot you right. know, his name, and um, they and he got it and it, it stuck. It stuck, and it was pretty interesting. It all it all stuck, and um, you know myself being a point guard and Ron Olive being the two, and Dennis Scott being the three. It it fit. It fit. It fit. Lethal Weapon three. It just fit, man. It was great. No doubt. No doubt. It did fit. Humongously popular movie at this at that time. Humongously successful Georgia Tech team at that time. As Kenny Anderson hangs with me to reminisce. All right, let's go to the Superdome. As I mentioned, Michigan State was the top seed. You know where I'm going with this. Steve Smith, an All American, one of the great Michigan State players that they've had, and that's saying something when you talk about guys like Magic Johnson or in the in the present Mateen. Leaves helping them win a 2000 national championship. Steve Smith is right there in Michigan State lore. Going into the game, what was the what was the belief? What was the mindset about taking them on? You knew they were going to be tough, right? They they were the Big Ten champs, right? Yeah, we knew. You know, we was um, going to go against the Big Ten. Um, you know, we knew uh, Steve Smith was going to be tough. 
but we just played. We we played. I, I I thought you know our Georgia Tech team. We wasn't afraid. We just thought we our destiny our destiny was, was calling us. You know what I'm saying? Our destiny was calling us, and we just played, and the game went down to the wire. And I like I said, I just thought any game that was close, we was gonna win it. You know, with myself running a point and Dennis Scott. Uh, he's bound to hit any kind of shot. And uh, Brian Oliver crashing the rebounds, getting rebounds, putbacks, and just, you know, playing on the perimeter. We we was, we was good. We was so good. We, we had so much confidence going into that game. Well, they definitely played a wild game with Michigan State that came down to the final moments. Uh, and obviously a last-second shot from the guy that we're talking to here. But so many times in sports, Kenny, we overlook what happens just before the big play. And what happened just before the big play is you went end-to-end very quickly for a layup. And I know you've done some other interviews in recent years and even this week that that play helped set up the big ending to the game when you got from one end of the floor in about four or five seconds and made it a two-point game. Elaborate on that, because I know that's something you worked on throughout your high school career and into Georgia Tech, right? Oh, yeah, I worked on that. In Lost Battalion Hall, Queens, New York, we worked on that, how how quick and how quick I was going to take a layup. And it wasn't that game. It was just how quick you know, getting the ball out from end to end and, and finishing it, you know, um, with a layup. And it was great, man. I did it. It, it was like, wow. It was like th- that game, you know, I'm like, I worked I worked so many uh, hours on this, on this, on this play. And now I'm, I, now I'm, 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 I'm getting ready to play it. It was, it was so, it, it was crazy, man. Was it almost like slow motion when you were yeah. doing it? Uh, putting it up to the rim and that stuff, yeah. did everything just slow down? Yes, yes, it was. It was slow motion. You know what I'm saying? Um, it was just that I, I worked on it so many times, and it came to fruition. It was just, it was great, man. And uh, Vincent Smith, you know, we we talked about that when I made it for so for, for so many nights. It was like, you know, that's what we worked on, and and, and it came up in the Michigan State game. Well, and so it it was was crazy. So that's the play before the play. You lay it in, and then you guys foul Steve Smith, who was a career eighty-five percent free throw shooter, and you and Dennis Scott were both in his ear in the Superdome, walking to the other end of the floor. Pick up the story, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't remember the story now, but I just, I just say, I just wanted to throw him off a little bit, off his concentration. You know what I'm saying? And I said, "You're gonna make him or miss him." I said, "You're gonna miss these something like that." And uh, he missed one of the. He missed them. He missed one, and we was off to the races. We yep. was off to the races. He it missed was, the front was, end. He missed he the, the front, front end. One on one. You got the ball yep. in your hands, and then going back and yeah. watching the video. Yeah. Did instinct just yeah. take over? I've asked you this before, but for the audience I, here, Kenny, did instinct just take over on where you were and what you were doing? Were you even thinking about how yeah. far you had to go and how much time was on the clock? Yeah, I knew uh, how much time was on the clock. I just wanted to get a good shot off. And I, I don't know. I think they didn't want to foul me or touch me. So they just let me run through, you know, run through the defense and put their hands up. And boom, it was, it was, it was, 
It was clutch. It was a clutch <laughs> shot, and um, it was great, man. It was, it was, it was clutch. It was heard all over. It was clutch. I was heard all over Atlanta. Oh, and it was <laughs> all heard over all over the country as the well. World. Yeah, yeah. When you made that yeah. shot. All right, so there's two or three components to it because the first thing that people yeah. don't realize when you go back and watch the video yeah. on YouTube and stuff, they originally called it a three-pointer. Game yeah. over. But instead, yeah. they go to the replay monitor, and, and at the same time, the horn is sounding. But, Kenny, they weren't looking at the time or the horn. They were looking at your foot. Was it on the line? And Judd Heathcote, the Michigan State coach, and the players are going crazy. So they determine it's not a three for the win. It's a two for the tie. Do you remember at all being being anxious? Were you trying to help referee there? Give us the win. Let us get out of here. How did that work? <laughs> I was just excited. I knew the game was going into overtime, overtime, or we was going to win by one. So I was like, "Yo, come on, let's just <laughs> let's get set for this overtime, and let's let's bring it home." And then in overtime, Dennis Scott just you know he 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 won the game for us. It was great. Well, I do I do know too. The Michigan State fans to this day will not forgive that yeah. those refs didn't yeah. look at the clock. <laughs> the horn yeah. was going off. I mean, it's bang bang. Yeah. Uh, I still yeah. remember on the on the on the video, Jim Jim Nance uh, leaving the air on CBS said, "Here's the dramatic yeah. shot from Kenny Anderson. Did it beat the horn? You judge for yourself. I guess we're still judging thirty years later whether you beat the horn. The shot counts, though. You guys won in overtime. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, that's all that matters. I, I didn't look at anything, and I didn't say anything. It was just it's just over. <laughs> you know, Jordan said, get the W. Get we the win. win. That was it. I, I Steve, didn't, I hey, I Steve, didn't Steve Smith still says 30 yeah. years later that there are yeah. only four or five games that he has regret about in his entire life, yeah. and that yeah. one may be at the top of the list. When you hear him yeah. say that 30 years later, what about that impact? Your victory, their loss. Yeah. What, do, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's tough from, from a player. You want to. You want to make the free throws. If he would have made one or made maybe two of them free throws, game would have been over. You want to make them, and uh, he missed, and that was it. You know, he lost the game. So you know, he, he definitely, he definitely, uh, he dealt with. He, you definitely deal with that throughout throughout your, you know, throughout your car, you know, college career because his was over after that. He was going into the draft and so on, and it was just tough. It was tough. Well, it was great for this guy and Lethal Weapon 3 because they rolled into the Elite Eight and beat Minnesota at the very end in another high-scoring, crazy 93-91 game where Minnesota missed yeah. the potential tying shot. When that when that shot clanked off the rim, you guys held on and won by two. What Explain to me on the floor of the Superdome, what is that moment like we're going to the Final Four? What do you remember? No, it was great. I don't remember too much of that. Man. It was just awesome that we kept winning and we kept growing as a team and kept, you know, we was already close as a team, but it got us closer. And to this day, you know, we still, we still try to stay in touch and that's everybody on that team. You know, most of everybody lives in Atlanta and we still stay in touch. So it was just great, man. Just going to the final four and experiencing, experiencing all the games that we played. It was just awesome. Voice of Kenny Anderson with me. It's part of the College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast, the former Georgia Tech All-American. His freshman year, they went to the Final Four. We're talking about Sweet 16 and Elite Eight memories from the 1990 tournament. Of course, UNLV ended up beating you guys, a game you guys were winning at halftime in Denver. They came back to win, and they blew out Duke to win the whole thing. 
uh, that year. They just they got progressively greater and greater in every game they played with pros like Larry Johnson and Stacey Augman and Greg Greg Anthony. You just got to tip your hat to Tarkanian's team, the late Jerry Tarkanian. They were they were the best team that year. Clearly, they were the best team at the end in March, right, Kenny? Oh yeah, definitely. You got to tip your hat off to them. I got the chance to play against all those guys and play in the NBA with those those young men, and they're all great guys. Stacey Ogman is played with me in Portland. He's great. Um, Larry Johnson, I played in Charlotte with him. He was a great person. Greg Anthony, great guy. Played against him. I went to New Jersey. He went to the Knicks. He, you know, so those guys are just good guys, man. And uh, they just they just outplayed everybody in the Final Four. And they deserve to win. No doubt. Kenny Anderson uh, definitely left his mark on the NCAA tournament. I know one of the disappointing things, or so many disappointing things, the Final Four was to have been in Atlanta this year, the 30th anniversary, and yep. you guys were going to be recognized with Coach Crimmins. Yep. I know you're disappointed, but these are chances in these interviews to reminisce. And what do you want to say about Coach Crimmins? And what do you want to say about uh, the you know being being from uh, New York, but Atlanta's like your second home with Georgia Tech and those yep. years? Years, you have that to hold on to. What do you want to say about Coach Crimmins, too, Kenny? Well, Coach Crimmins is just an awesome guy. Um, you know, him recruiting me. I, I didn't know much about Georgia Tech, uh, but I knew Mark Price, and he stays in touch with me through Twitter, and we played against each other a lot in the NBA, and, and that's one of the reasons I went to Georgia Tech, because of him, Mark Price, um, and, and Coach Crimmins. The whole staff, Kevin Cantwell, uh, was great. Um um, Sherman Dillett was another awesome coach. You know, he's at Iowa. We stay in touch, and, and you know these guys. You're all, you're always going to have everlasting love, you know, from from the for for the coaches, and I and I always have that. And, um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about the Final Four. So it, it's it's awesome. It was just an awesome beat, uh, Final Four. But even if we wouldn't have went to the Final Four, if we would have had a year. A year like we had and not making it to the final four was it was those coaches that means a lot to me they made me grow as a human being as a person it was awesome love this man uh you got a documentary out about your life uh about basketball is easy but life is hard mr chibs tell tell the fans more about that documentary i've interviewed you a bunch about it but for the audience here tell them about the documentary the documentary is great man it's getting a lot of great reviews uh uh, Mr. Chibs, my nickname, um, you know, the Kenny Anderson story. And uh, it goes from, you know, high school, went to Archbishop Malloy High School in New York, to Queens. Uh, I was coached by a great coach, Jack Karen. Went on to Georgia Tech with Coach Crimmins from New York. And it just, my whole, it's a great story. And, and if you haven't seen it, you should, you should see it, man. It's very emotional, very, uh, very uh, catchy. You know, um, heart, heartwarming, and it's and it's and it's real. It's real. You know, a lot of documentaries, you, you just go through the motions or whatever to see the, the the good parts and all that. But I'm telling you about the hard times of of Kenny Anderson, my life, how hard it was, and um, me to overcome everything that I came came through. So it's just great, man. It's a great documentary. And, and we and we came, we we got about three four years ago. We we started it. So, cause that's when documentary is real hot. Sure. And we was like, yeah, Hey, let's do, let's do it. And, um, we did it. And Jill Campbell, um, 
my director she did a she did a hell of a, a hell of a job on, on on my documentary. Well, we should and say I, she did she did a, she did a fantastic did, yeah. job. And yeah. Kenny, right now in the present day times, we're all yeah. isolated. We're all having to find yeah. things to yeah. watch. Let me say again right. to the yeah. audience: go get yeah. the documentary. You can go to mrchibs dot com m r c h i b b s like basketball. Mr. Chibs yep. was Kenny's nickname. Go to mrchibs dot com. The documentary Mr. Chibs is on Amazon Prime. It's on YouTube. Yep. You can go to those places, yep. and it's worth a dollar yep. ninety nine. Uh, to watch. It's a great documentary about Kenny's life from New York to Georgia Tech to the NBA where he was a two-time All-Star. Um, great life lessons that are in there. So again, we plug away. MrChibs.com is how you can find it more. Because Kenny, there are dozens, if not hundreds of college basketball fans that are hearing us that have no games. Yeah. We got nothing to watch. Yeah. Go plug yeah, in the documentary. Go plug in the you documentary. Go watch, watch that Chibs. Mr. Go, Chibs. Go watch it, man. Go watch, hey, it. go watch it. You'll love it. Go see it and go see the story. Hey, one more. Tell the audience, because you're still coaching right now. Uh, tell yes, tell the audience about the new coaching challenge you've undertaken and where you are i'm at fish uh university in nashville uh it's about nine uh, about 900 students real small nai school and it's great man i love the school hopefully we can get the basketball uh team to turn around i've been here uh two years now going on my third um it's just it's just a wonderful uh wonderful school man and i just Hope everybody's out there just, you know, paying attention because we, we're, we're, we're coming. We're coming with it. We're coming. You, uh, you have said to me in the past, say it again here, that you had such influences, Coach Cremins, your coach at Archbishop Malloy yeah. that you were just mentioning, influences yeah. on your life that you wanted to be able to give back the same way to younger yeah. players. That still is very important to you, obviously, right? Yes, it's very important to me to give back. And um, that's what I'm doing here at FIS and just trying to teach the kids the, the right way to, to go about doing doing their tasks. And that's and that's if you want to go and play basketball for a living or if you just want to get an education and get a good job afterwards, you know what I mean? So it's really a big thing, you know. I, I try to live through my documentary, Life is Hard. Um, basketball is easy, I'm right? Sorry. Yeah. The basketball is easy. Uh, life is hard. You know, basketball is easy. Life is hard. And um, and that's what it's and that's what it was, you know, for me, for me, you know, and that's the easiest thing in my life is the basketball. But all the other things with my life has been, you know, difficult at times. Well, love this man for all that he's done for the courage. Uh, for the things that he's uh, talked about in his documentary. Again, go get that at MrChibs.com, Amazon Prime. You can subscribe uh, and and watch it for a rental. The same with YouTube TV, the same. I love reminiscing and talking Final Four as many times as you will let me bother you when I text you or get in touch with you. I love doing it. You're my guy, man. I love that. I love you, man. I love you, man. You're my guy. I love that. Hey, much love for you. My man Ari Russell sends along his regards. We're all three peas peas in the pod, if you will. Been together at Final Fours before. I will miss... I will miss not seeing you in Atlanta. We hope there's another opportunity where I will see you, and you guys do deserve to be honored for being in the 90 Final Four. Kenny, good luck in Nashville. Thank you for the time here on the College Basketball Coast to Coast. You are my guy as well. Thank you. My guy. Thank you.
Man, this is helping. I have to admit that I love talking to my go-to guys, my faves, and I'm having a lot of fun on college basketball coast-to-coast reminiscing about previous Sweet 16s and Elite 8s. A reminder again, subscribe to the podcast, however you found it, on a social media link, somebody sharing it out on a site, etc. Subscribe. It comes automatically to you. We will be talking Final Four memories next week uh, here on College Basketball Coast-to-Coast because the Final Four would have been held in Atlanta Not going to happen, never going to happen. Of course, we were just talking with Kenny Anderson about that, the Georgia Tech star that they were going to honor the Georgia Tech team 30 years later for their anniversary of the 1990 Final Four in the Atlanta 2020 Final Four. All of that for naught. Here's hoping they get that recognition at some point down the road. Maybe the Final Four is back in Atlanta in a year or two. Maybe they switch the rotation up, don't know what they're going to do. All of that still to be determined. So we'll have Final Four stuff next week. Sweet 16, Elite 8 right now for this weekend. The memories are flowing. The reminiscing is flowing. I cannot do this without my wingman. Ari Russell has been with me for over 15 years talking college basketball, previous lives, Sirius XM, tune in all the time, and also on this show, College Basketball Coast to Coast. I think you came up with the name. Did you come up with the name, or did I come up with the name College Basketball Coast to Coast? Who wants to take credit for that? Was that like a bipartisan bill? Yes. Was it through the legislature bipartisan there? Did we both come up with it? I can't remember that like 15 years ago. I, I think I think we we came up as a tandem with it. We were like college basketball, cause then, and then I think together somehow we came up with it. So I don't want to take the full credit <laughs> for the name of the show, um, you know. But uh, we definitely worked on it, and it was a concept that came about, you know, like you said, 15 years ago, which is crazy. It is, cra- <laughs> it is crazy. It. <laughs> it's crazy because Ari and I have been talking about the madness and the hoops and the great wins and the upsets and the champions, and now we have none of that. And I, I haven't had a chance to talk to you here for a couple of weeks. Uh, you are yeah. in the New York City area. I'm here in, in West yeah. Central Florida. Everybody is somewhere that's listening to us. How are you doing, first of all, overall – you, your family, and then second of all, yeah. we got no sports. We got no March, and it, this is tough. This is tough if you're a yeah. hardcore hoops fan like you are, like I am. Yeah, it's 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 bizarre. It's uh, you know, it's it certainly doesn't seem doesn't seem normal. This isn't normal. This is unprecedented. You know, so uh, doing okay. You know, keeping you know keeping by the rules. I'm not putting anybody at risk at this point um you know I'm which is a rarity for you keeping the rules is yeah, a rarity for ari russell but you're doing it well go right. ahead right knowing what i am <laughs> but uh but no you know just just basically you know not trying to consume too much too much tv news because it'll drive you crazy yep. uh but just following what it, what's what you're supposed to do you know you're not supposed to be out in the streets all the time and being in contact with people you know go to the store here or there you know, and even in what the the Whole Foods down the street, they only allow uh, you know a limited amount of people at the same time. Yesterday, uh, we were standing in line uh, six feet apart to wait to get into the Whole Foods. Mm. You know, it's 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 the it's a very bizarre time, but you know, it's just it's life. Life is life, and we're trying to stay alive. And you know, you have to take some of the precautions to do it because it's a serious thing. And you know, I don't want to get anyone else sick. You know, I might be Great able to point. Be fine, but Great point. I don't want to get anyone else sick. That's the so, most important so. point because there are millions yeah. that are like our parents 
that are like our uh, aunts and uncles that are older, and it, it is a much bigger risk for them. I get that. I understand why we've had to shut it down and sequester, isolate, social distancing. Let's see how long it continues. Hopefully for not too long. We just unfortunately Hopefully. have lost March. We've we've lost the NCAA tournament. We're not ever going to have it for 2020. Yeah. And I know what I was going to say. I mean, you are used to the hustle and bustle of the NYC. My man Ari's been in Washington, D.C. In, in his work life. Uh, from New York as well, uh, been in and around New York your whole life. This was supposed to be the weekend of the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight at the Garden, and you've covered many a Big East championship at the Garden, many an NCAA tournament uh, at the Garden. This was supposed to be alive and electric, maybe with Duke there, maybe with Villanova there, uh, Kentucky, whomever they would have put in the East that would have ended up in a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight. Just in general terms, you talk about madness. There's madness, and then there's madness on PEDs, and that's Madison Square oh, yeah. Garden, right? Yeah. And you've been there. I mean, you know, it is the mecca. And just watching basketball there in general is, is always great. College basketball especially. I mean, I love the Big East tournament. It's always electric. And then, you know, and then you get the, the NCAA tournament there. And since they've refurbished the garden, um, it's a much nicer arena than it had been. They really did a good job with it. Um, and it's just, it's just a cool, it's just a cool scene, man. It's just, you know, again, so much history in, in the concept of the garden. People forget that this is this, this is another iteration. The garden didn't always be, wasn't always at this location. Uh, but, but the concept of Madison Square Garden as a whole is really where, where basketball is, uh, from, from a big perspective, big stage perspective has always been the center um, you know, so when you have NCAA tournament games, especially regional finals there, it's super duper electric because now you're getting a ticket to the final four. I mean, it'd be great if, you know, my opinion about basketball is that it should be played in arenas. It'd be great if they could bring a final four to a place like Madison Square Garden, but that's not what reality we live in. So the next best thing is to have regional finals. And I was really looking forward to checking it out. I mean, I had my credential, you know, already, you know, <laughs> got the email from, from Dave Warlock saying, you know, congratulations, you know, whatever, here's your credentials. You've been approved, which being approved for anything at this point, you know, for me, there's <laughs> always a plus. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised they let me in without frisking me. No, yeah, they yeah. do that for everyone. Right. But, but Especially but, you, but, you uh, get the extra searches. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's, it's, it's electric. And, you know, at this point, it's just, I don't really care who who the teams are it's it's always exciting i mean that's a you know on a basketball night it's like bring whoever it is whichever four teams are, are make it through survive in advance i'm there i'm right there to watch well and on that point let's pick up on that yeah. point because you were last there at the regional final the elite eight 2017 that was eventually won by football school south carolina going to the final four with frank martin and they beat the florida gators who you know, between Mark Wise and me, we're, we're very much in and around the Gator basketball program and their history and their tradition, yep. and they won a couple of national titles in 06 and 07. But that, that was an East Regional, just to reminisce, while we're doing it on College Basketball Coast to Coast, that had Villanova as the one seed at the top, Duke as the two mm-hmm. seed at the bottom, and you're thinking that out of that, you're going to get one or both of them, at least in the Sweet 16, and both of them got beat in the second round of the yeah. tournament. 
And so yep. you ended up with a Wisconsin, Florida, Baylor, South Carolina, Sweet 16 Friday night, and then uh, a Florida, South Carolina Sunday uh, uh, to you. You were there. You were in and around it. How unusual to not have Villanova, to not have Duke, have Wisconsin, Florida, Baylor, South Carolina, and eventually plays out with South Carolina winning. What do you remember? Well, I just remember having a friend that uh, that I had become friends with since moving up to the New York area, that uh, South Carolina resident, I believe he was an alum, um, and I just remember how excited he was, <laughs> I really. And then he ended up going to the Final Four, and we ended up hanging out in, in Phoenix. I remember uh, that at that point. Right. Um, you know, so, um, and, and I remember that part the more than anything, uh, having a, a close friend that was just ecstatic because again, South Carolina, you know, a basketball team that hasn't really seen the success that they had a, were two seed years and years ago, got bounced in the first round historically, you know, that was like a, one of the bigger upsets in, in the history of South Carolina. We're expecting big I teams. believe Hadn't Coppin State, to, right? Fang Coppin Mitchell, State, Coppin, Coppin State, 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 am I right? Yeah. Fang Mitchell. Yeah, I believe they may have beat him in Boise. I'm not sure, you know, but, uh, but whatever it was that, you know, that was the year that they expected big things, you know, and I don't think they really had previous success since Alex English. Mm, uh, but, there's like, a name. So, you know, amazing grace at Chuck. <laughs> you know, so, so so I don't I don't think that that's you know so, so it was something that just talking to a fan who was a, who was a good friend of mine uh, I think that was what really really jumped out at the most at me because you know I don't really know too many South Carolina fans and just at, they they didn't think like they weren't even thinking Final Four at all they weren't even thinking the tournament I mean like it was they were a team that really kind of struck it at the end there I mean they really had a kind of a mediocre season. And all of a sudden, you know, they just really, really hit the skids down the stretch and, uh, you know, really, really flew, flew into it and just was kind of like a buzzsaw. They just, you know, were well coached and just had a really good unit, um, you know, played great defense and uh, really held on to the ball and didn't had, uh, what was his name? Uh, Thornton, right? Sendarius uh, Thornton, that, right, right. Yeah, but Thornton was, was, was one of those kind of unheralded guys that was impossible to guard especially down the stretch and was just, you know, making big buckets and playing make probably the best defensive player in the tournament at the time. Uh, it was just, you know, one of those things where, you know, they, you, they, they were really up to play and they kept moving on and all of a sudden they played Florida and they, you know, the, the, the chips filled and laid out the way that it had to, because like you said, the, the two top seeds out of the tournament. So the, so the matchups really were to their favor. And it was just one of those times where, you know, South Carolina ends up, you know, making it to the Final Four where, you know, most people outside of, you know, diehard South Carolina fans didn't have them, even, you know, probably getting out the first or second round. So it was, you know, it was one of those things. It's always fun. It's always fun when you have an underdog make it to the Final Four. And New York City and the New York area actually has a pretty significant base of South Carolina fans, believe it or not, it, because there's a lot of people that go to college down in South Carolina, where it's College Charleston or South Carolina, New Jersey, New York. It, it's a surprisingly Interesting. large alumni base. Um, you know, for some reason, they go down there. And so there was a tremendous base of, of fans that were local to New York. They didn't fly in from South Carolina. They were local. So they had a tremendous fan base there that were just so excited. It, it's just a lot of fun, especially when it's you know, an underdog team making it. And that was just, 
it's always fun when you see the underdog, you know, get to the final four because it's just something that fans are just so appreciative. And that's really one of those things that, you know, when you go against the blue bloods, they're kind of, you know, have this sneering look and expectations to kind of be anointed into <laughs> these games where, where, where we get the underdogs, it's a different story. And it's always a celebration and their fans are just happy to be there. And then when they get to the final four, they're always great to hang out with because them, it doesn't matter. They already won it. Oh yeah. You know I mean? It's they victory in part that. just to be there. And to your point, exactly. they advanced to that 2017 final four, the South Carolina team that we're talking about to play Gonzaga, who had never been there and Gonzaga beat them in the semifinal. Yeah. And the other two, the the truest of Blue Bloods, North Carolina played Oregon, and Oregon had not been in a Final Four since going all the way back to them winning the national championship, the first NCAA tournament, 1939. So you had an unusual Final Four that year that North Carolina eventually won, but South Carolina was part of that. All right, so again, Ari Russell with me. You can uh, follow him at Ari Russell on Twitter. Love his insight as a wingman with me here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. We're supposed to be talking about games in the preview mode and and the recap mode all weekend on the show instead we're left with memories and you you had a great line a minute ago about the underdog the unexpected something to that effect yeah you lived it in 2006 take me back to the 2006 tournament washington dc and the then verizon center was the site of george mason's magical run jim laranega as the coach into the final four sweet 16 uh, and, and Elite Eight, you were right there. That George Mason team had won in Dayton over Michigan State and North Carolina, hello, in two upsets. Yep. They they then play yep. Wichita State, who had pulled an upset of Tennessee in the regional final, and then play the number one overall seed in the tournament, a Godzilla, UConn out of the Big East. When you think back now nearly 15 years ago to George Mason, uh, winning Sweet 16, winning Elite Eight, and going to the Final Four in Indianapolis. What do you remember? What yeah. floods back to you? I just remember, you know, in the Sweet 16 game against Wichita State, I mean, they pretty much led the whole way from what, from what I gather, I, I from what I remember. I mean, it, it wasn't – they didn't blow them out, but they pretty much had that – it seemed like they just had that game. It just seemed like they had that game. You know, I mean, they heard already coming off two huge wins – and uh, it just seemed like they had that game. You know, first off, they're, they're in D.C. The, the fan base at that point was om- almost overwhelmingly George Mason, you know, obviously, because it's in the backyard. Um, you know, just hop on 66, boom, and you're right there, you know, <laughs> literally. You could pull up, you know. So, so um, you know, I, I mean, again, 66 is, for those that know the D.C. area, it was 66. It's basically a parking lot, you know, from 3 to 7 p.m. at night and in the morning from 6 to 9 in the morning. You know, <laughs> the parking lot is depending each way, you know. Anyway, but um, but so, so you know, they, they had an overwhelming crowd. It was pretty overwhelming, you know, but when you have four teams there, you're going to have, you know, some split. Okay, so they beat Wichita State. Not They didn't blow them out, but it was a pretty They beat them by player. eight. They ended up beating them by right. eight, they right? They beat them by eight, but they were up by significant amount most of the game there really wasn't a surge from Wichita State it didn't really seem like that game was really even at risk of them losing so they win that game then it's against UConn now people forget at that year because of what happened that UConn was pretty much the overwhelming number one seed 
going into going into the tournament. Now they kind of skipped, kind of tripped up at the end of the season, but they were supremely dominant in the Big East tournament. I mean, in the Big East regular season and throughout the season, they just had like you know. The, that well, let me give you let me big, give you an idea because I had yeah. them at that time. I was doing the University of South Florida. You know this on the uh, yeah. on the radio play by play in Tampa. They were in the Big East. They had gone into the Big East that season, the 05-06 season. That UConn team came in February to the Sundome, and I half jokingly said a couple of times on the air, "This may be like World Cup soccer for USF trying to score." Little did I know how right I was, because I still remember this in the game in the Sundome. UConn's defense was so smothering with steals, with block shots, with guarding that you looked up and the score was nineteen to one. USF had one free throw. <laughs> like eight minutes into the game. And I remember looking at my partner on the radio saying, this is exactly what we thought. You cannot score on these guys, it seems like, with their length, with their size. You then had them in the Big East tournament, which they rolled through and won, and they were the number one overall seed. They were an imposing team to, to battle in the Elite Eight for George Mason. We cannot overstate that, Ari. No, no. I mean, they were the overwhelming overall number one seed in the tournament. And here you got George Mason, a team that, okay, if you also want to break it down, as far as the hierarchy in the area, maybe the fourth fiddle, if, you, if you're if you lucky. You in know, the D.C. I mean, area, talking, you mean. Right, right. In the D.C. area. You're talking, you know, Maryland. You're talking Georgetown. I mean, I would have even put George Washington above George Mason. George Washington under Jarvis went to two, you know, uh, sweet 16s. So, um, you know, and, and during that era. So, like, uh, you know, it's George Mason really, really hadn't had too much success in, in, the, in the NCAA tournament. And here comes Larry Nega with this team. A lot of guys, a couple players that were snubbed from Maryland. And Maryland, you know, wasn't able to get out of the first round, let alone get in the tournament. You know, this is where a lot of people were questioning Gary Williams and everything like that. Georgetown you know, was kind of in a transition phase at this point, you know, trying to build up. I believe John Thompson III was, you know, a couple years in already. Right. Uh, but but they were they were getting knocked out in the tournament early uh, at that point. Um, it was just a situation where kind of a perfect storm. You know, all of a sudden, here's a team, George Mason, just coming together at the right time. Um, and the matchup against, it just seemed an overwhelming matchup. You had two seven-footers for UConn. You had Rudy Gay. Uh, and this is the point where I realized that Rudy Gay is a great athletic player, and I knew he would have a decent career in the NBA. I knew at that point when he played against George Mason that he wasn't a primetime clutch guy because that dude, for pretty much 90% of that game, was on a milk carton. I think he still scored over 20 <laughs> points, but you can't tell me where he scored 20 points of any significance. Because he wasn't really do. I mean, George Mason really was was commanding in that game. It just the skill. At what? Let me interject. Time. At what point was it in the first half? Was it was it maybe early second half? Did you start to entertain courtside at press row watching George Mason UConn two thousand six? As we're talking about, they could beat these guys. At what point? At what point did you begin to process George Mason can win this game? It was a, well. First, it was the first point was about. Five minutes was like five minutes to go in the first half, where it was it was it was just George Mason. They I'm like wow they're they're playing. They came to play, and and I don't know where UConn is. I don't think I still they're they're here in body. 
I think their spirit is still sleeping in hotel room at this point. <laughs> so, so um, I, that's what I saw. And then, and then you move it over. Can you say, okay, well, maybe, maybe UConn will wake up in the second half. Not really. Um, you know, it, it was still more of the same. Again, UConn's size and just basic talent, athleticism, and skill, you know, kept them in the game, um, you know, a lot. And there was one guy, it was Anderson, I believe. I think that's who it was. The guy that was the three-point specialist was really the guy to keep him in the game, um, keep UConn in the game. They would have lost by double digits if he wasn't hitting shots down the stretch to three-point shots to keep the game close uh, and, and really to, to, to really make it a nail-biter. Uh, you know, but, but the rest of the team was just, they just didn't have an answer. They just didn't know how they had, they ran the double mid posts and, and, and UConn couldn't figure out, you know, how to defend it and what to do. It just, you know, George Mason, my father and Campbell must've hit like three or four big threes, um, in that, in, in that game, Tony skin had, uh, you know, another great defensive game, uh, you know, at the point guard position, uh, it was just one of those things, a perfect storm. But but really, within the first three minutes of the second half, I'm like, George Mason might end up screw around and win this game. And then with like three minutes left, the crowd was just on fire. It was 99% George Mason. <laughs> it was more than like, you know, it was more noise in there than when. Well, Bernard I'm looking at the recap. Points. If I can interject, I'm yeah. looking at the recap. They made six consecutive three pointers at one point in the second half just to jog yeah. your memory. And at that point, it, it had to seem like uh, the weight of the world was on UConn, like, like a tidal wave of George Mason momentum and fans and everything, right? When all those shots are going in and George Mason's making the comeback and you're, and you're thinking because they were down 12 at one point late in the first half, down, down nine early in the second half, they made six consecutive three-pointers that actually pulled them even. And that's where you're describing they were ready to blow the roof off the place in downtown D.C., right? Yeah. 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 That's what it was. It was, it was it, you know, that was, they, they were, you know, they were just making you believe uh, and, you know, UConn just couldn't knock them out. And, you know, George Mason stuck around. And like I said, like if it wasn't for uh, uh, the UConn player, I think his name was Anderson. I might, I might be wrong. I'm, I'm, I don't have anything in front of me to, to recap it, but, but he was hitting big shots down the stretch to really, you know, keep UConn ahead a little bit. Like if it weren't for him, they would have lost by double digits. I guarantee. But it was just one of those things where the crowd really brought. You could tell that the team energized off the crowd, and they said it in the post game. You know, like this crowd really energized us. Mm-hmm. Like I said it was ninety nine. No one. You got a good memory. It is Rashad Anderson who hit a couple of big threes in the second half yep. to keep them in the yep. game on that team. Yep. The game actually though went to overtime. And George mm-hmm. Mason had the lead in the final seconds, and UConn misses the shot. And Ari Russell knows what's coming here. Your court side, as the shot clangs off, George Mason wins. They begin to celebrate, and I still remember this vividly. And whenever I see the video of that last-second shot missing, I always look for my man Ari Russell because they came over to celebrate and got up on the press tables right where you were, correct? Pick it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what they were, and they jumped on the presses and kind of, you know, waving their jerseys, George Mason, George Mason, literally right in front of me. I had a great seat. You know, I was right there. I Did you like, for half a I've second ever... fear they're gonna cu- they're gonna crash on top of us doing this? Did that yeah, even go was... through your mind or no? At, at that point, I was still, you know, young and spry. Would have gotten out of the way. So. <laughs> 
you know, nowadays I'd probably my reaction time would be a little slower. So, but but then it was I was fast. So you know I wasn't too worried. I was excited for them. You know I thought this was great. I mean this just this just it was it was a historic moment, and I was happy that I was not only there to witness it, but I was also so darn close, and I had to had the uh, privilege to be able to interview mm. the players after the game. Uh, you know and and talk to them and 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 really. And I had, you know, been talking to them throughout, you know, the, the, the regional semifinals and finals. So I got to know, um, you know, some of the players, you know, at that point because and they would recognize me. So they were real cool. And then after they won, they were just so happy. And it was just it's just much it's so much fun interviewing people after, you know, a historic win. I mean, that was a historic victory um that that we all remember not even people that were there you remember everyone remembers it but being in that arena at that point at just the privilege of of being there is something that i'll never forget and then i appreciate what everyone does to make these sporting events happen and why it's such it's such a tragedy now that we can't have it because it goes down more than just the players we're talking the people in the press that this is their living. What about the people that work these arenas? Right. What about the sports information directors right. and all of their staffs that work very hard the whole year to get these things done, to make sure that we're able to watch and, you know, all from the people that, that put the, 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 you know, the, the cables in to make sure that the TV transmissions work, you know, to the union truck drivers that take all the equipment left from all top to bottom. This has a, a pervasive effect on everything. It isn't just the players, man. And, you know, it isn't just us that have the privilege to report and to be at these games for free with a, with, with a free meal here or there. It has, or the fans, it has a tremendous effect across the board. So talking about this is important because it, it makes me feel, you know, privileged that we were able to watch these things. It's a privilege to be able to watch It's a great word. We have been privileged. You and I have been at over a dozen, probably you and I about eight to ten of these. Uh, And I have been privileged to be, this would have been my 19th one in Atlanta. And I don't don't take it for granted that we get the opportunity to be there, cover this, be around this. And you're right. You're talking about thousands of people that help put this event on at all the different arenas, the locations, television, radio, media that's covering it, everything that goes on, schools, their employees. Uh, and then yeah. you and then you add hundreds of thousands of fans that would have been yeah. in those arenas, in those football stadiums, like Lucas Oil yeah. Stadium, like Mercedes-Benz Stadium for those events. I mean, this was supposed yeah. to be a regional final weekend in Indianapolis that was potentially going to have, let's say, Michigan State and Kansas at Lucas Oil Football Stadium with 65,000 people there uh, to witness it yeah. and to watch it. Um, and yet... Uh, it's it's all for naught. So you're right. It is it is a privilege. We do consider it as such, um, and should not take it for granted. And this year's a great reminder of it. A few more minutes with Ari Russell again. He's at Ari Russell on social media. Uh, I always love his insight on college basketball, coast to coast. Frequent contributor every college basketball season throughout March, throughout the Final Four, especially on this show. Our live coverage on TuneIn, all of that. 
just basically wiped away because of the coronavirus. So we're left with our memories and reminiscing. So one more. Speaking of that same building in D.C., what's the new what's the new name? I don't even know the new name. It was the Verizon Center, the downtown arena. Uh, we still call it the we call it the phone booth. The phone booth. The, the phone booth. Whatever it is now, the home of the Wizards. I think it's Capital One. I don't. The know Capital One is. building. All right, so you were in there just a year ago, 52 weeks ago from right now, uh, when Zion Williamson and Duke, who had narrowly avoided the upset to UCF in the second round game, had narrowly avoided in an overtime situation Virginia Tech uh, in the Sweet 16 game, you were right there for Michigan State finally knocking off Duke and Zion, Cassius Winston and Michigan State, a year ago, Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend. Again, give me a give me a couple of quick takes and memories from what you remember from that uh, last year regional final. Well, I mean, again, it was it was you know seeing Zion Williamson in person. He's just a, was a freak. He's just a freak. I mean, he was doing some things that I'd never seen before. I, there was some one time where he just came out of nowhere and blocked this shot, where it was just like it looked like an open layup one of the Virginia Tech games, and it was just like he came, and he was beat off the dribble and turned around and still blocked the shot. I'd never seen that before. It was insane. And he would just do things, and then he caught our colleague, long. Our colleague Mark Wise kept calling it a year ago, Sharkley, a combination of Shaq's size, not quite as big, and Barkley's athleticism, blocking shots, rebounding at his size. Yeah. He was like in between, so he kept calling him Sharkley. I still remember that, and I think it's apropos because for a guy 6'8", 260, and 18, you know, 18 and a half years old, to leap out of the gym on the weak side to block shots, to go the instincts to get rebounds, the ability to step out and shoot left-handed threes. It was crazy yeah. scary how athletic and how talented he was, and yet they didn't win the game, Ari. No, I mean, and then, you know, they faced against, um, you know, Michigan State at that point really had a great game plan, you know. Uh, uh, and this is just coaching. It just goes to coaching and, and knowing it and, um, they really just said, all right, you know, we're not going to let, uh, we're going to force Zion to take shots outside. We're going to force the whole team to take shots outside and just play physical. And they just pretty much abused the Duke guards the whole game and uh, forced them into, to, you know, unforced errors. And, uh, you know, I said force them into unforced errors. It kind of sounds contradictory, but, but it actually makes sense. You know, you set up your defense. Well, they, sped them, really- they sped them up, is your point. And yeah, then that absolutely. tempo... Uh, Duke began to make mistakes and miss shots, and and Winston really took exactly. that game over, right? Exactly. No, they, they they Winston had a tremendous game all across the board, and uh, you know, just on both sides of the ball. I mean, we already knew him as a great defensive player, but he really stepped up, you know, offensively, and you know, hit big shots down the stretch, and really, you know, making the extra pass when you need it. Like you said, like it was interesting because everyone expected Michigan State to slow the game down. They thought that's what's going to happen. And Izzo did the opposite. You know, he sped them up. He was forcing the, the, the Duke team to run up and down the court with them, um, tiring them out. So their offensive rhythm is off. And that's where, where it worked. So that they didn't have any offensive rhythm. They were forcing them to, to play 90 feet by keeping the tempo while pushing the, pushing the ball up the court, you know, not running quick half court sets. You know, and and just really making the the Duke team, which it saw wasn't really as good of a transition team as it seemed they may they should have been with with Zion. Uh, but again, you, for transition offense to work, 
you do at some point need to have the ability to hit three-point shots. And the one thing that Duke was weak at that, that last year was they weren't a great three-pointing shooting team at all, uh, other than Jones. He was basically the only one, and he had a terrible shooting game. So, you know, it all worked out. You know, I st- Zion still had a solid game, you know, but they didn't let him really affect it. And, uh, you know, Michigan State shot at some point, they were shooting like 70% from the field. I mean, you're not going to beat a team that shoots at such a high percentage during big stretches of the game. Uh, it's just not going to happen, you know, especially a team that's coached like that with the Tom Izzo and with veterans like Cassius Winston at point guard. You know, it, it turns, it's always down to the guard play. And, you know, I know you had Kenny on, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Mr. Chibs is always going to tell you guard play, guard play, guard play yep. credit. Obviously, him being one of the best point guards, you know, the history ever come out of New York City, you know, Kenny's going to tell you that, at, but he's right. <laughs> he's right. So, you know, at that point. Well, and Winston, to play. your point, guard play makes a difference. Winston uh, made or assisted on 19 of their 30 made field goals. He yep. was that huge. Yep. And late in that game, Kenny Goins, a fifth-year senior, a former walk-on for Tom Izzo, made the biggest shot of his life to help put them in the yep. Final Four, put them ahead for good. Again, as best as you can recollect, it's a year ago, the frantic final minute, Goins makes that shot and Michigan State holds on as Duke misses at the end. And it's Bedlam uh, with the presumptive number one, uh, you know, presumptive national champion being ousted without even going to the final four. What was it? What was it like sitting courtside to watch all that and take it all in? Well, you know, um, you know, being there before, it's it's interesting because it's different feeling when it's two teams that have a history of success at this level. Um, you know, than it is when it's an upset, you know, or when it's two teams that neither of them expect to be there, really, uh, which I've seen several times, too. Um, you know, so it's it's like both te- when both teams kind of expect to make it, <laughs> that that's what's always interesting because it's like, but, but that's when the great, that's another great challenge when it's a close game. It was a really, really close game, um, you know, uh, and everyone expected Duke to be the, the national champion that year. So, you know, again, but it was against Michigan State. So it was like when Duke lost, it was like, well, it was against – you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like as huge of an upset. You know, even though on paper it seemed like a huge upset. It wasn't that huge of an upset, you know, because, again, it's a, a historically successful team in the NCAA tournament against – Duke, which is, you know, kind of two, two, two blue bloods, if you want to put it that way, you know, against one another. And it's like, okay, all right. Well, if there was a team that's going to be Duke, it was going to mm. be Izzo's Michigan State. Well, and Duke so, had owned know, them. And Duke had owned them because they had won 12 of the 13 meetings, Mike Krzyzewski yeah. against Tom Izzo. But yeah, lucky, well, lucky fourteen, lucky fourteen went Michigan State's way to go to the Final Four a year ago, yeah. and it didn't work yeah. out because Texas Tech beat them on the on the following Saturday in the national semifinal. But still, what a what a great memory as we talk Sweet Sixteen yeah. and uh, and Elite Eight. All right, so as we wind it down here on the program, uh, I thank you for reminiscing with me. We're we're just we're missing out 
on on what's magical again. I've I've been in the arena a couple of times for Elite Eights. Uh, where a team wins it and goes to the Final Four and they get to cut the nets down. They get up on the ladders, they got the hats on, the shirts on that say champions of the of the regional, mm-hmm. and they're cutting the nets down. Just say something about that, because you've experienced that several times as well, whether yeah. it be with George Mason or South Carolina or Michigan State last year, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, it's great, man. It's it's great, especially, like I said, when it's the unexpected. And then you see all of like the former players you know, come down and celebrate as well. And, um, you see the, um, you know, you see the, the, um, you know, the, some of the, the, the boosters, <laughs> right. I'm not going to get into that. Part Former coaches. I mean, I still <laughs> right. remember Raleigh Massimino with the ear to ear, right. The ear to ear smile, uh, on Raleigh Massimino's face or magic Johnson yeah. being around the Michigan state team oh. as if, and, and by the way, the uh, 41st anniversary of Magic and Bird is today, the day that we're talking yeah, right. in the national championship game in Salt Lake City, 1979. So how about that? But Magic being around, or when John Wooden would be around those those uh, UCLA teams with Ben Howland, I mean, it was always neat to see that whenever they were in that moment. It was, and, and going back to, to last year at the uh, at the – the, the phone booth, whatever the hell it's called now in D.C. Right? Capital One, um, right? Not Verizon. One, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, down in the, the, in the tunnel, you know, Magic Johnson is walking through. And this is how cool of a guy he is. And just how he's sitting there and he's shaking all of the people's hands that work around the, like, the locker room. And, you know, thank you, thanking them. And, and thanking them because he was there the whole weekend and thanking them for their work working and helping and that's what he's doing and just acknowledging the regular working folks there's magic johnson you know he's very everyone knows who he is he's a successful guy been in the limelight for you know 40 plus years and here he is in a big moment for his school and he's thanking the workers that were helping the team out that he's there for and i just thought that was really cool i that that stuck out with me actually because i'm like and then especially in this time and age where, where, you know, the people that are actually out here and what we're doing, the ones that are really fighting are the ones that are serving our food, that are in the grocery stores, that are driving the trucks, delivering. And, and just seeing a guy like that at his prominence acknowledge folks and shaking their hands and thanking them. And it was a genuine thank you. I've never seen people really do that enough. And I thought that was like, you know what? That's why I like this guy. <laughs> That's why I always like magic, you know, because he has something, a human quality to him that I don't think enough celebrities at this point have. And I do remember that as well. And I thought that was really cool, separate from anything. So. Wow. Great memories. Love yeah. the insight of Ari Russell again. Yeah. Follow him at Ari Russell on Twitter. He's part of the college basketball coast to coast. Uh, program here is a little group therapy, a little little figurative hand holding. We're all going to get through it, reminiscent about great we moments. Uh, do you do you realize and understand that we've now been talking for almost forty minutes? It's very thera- therapeutic to remember these stories and talk yeah, about man. it. Great stuff. Promise me that we'll do this again for the Final Four. We got to tell some Final Four stories because that well. 06 George Mason team advanced to the Final Four in Indianapolis. And there's a tornado warning story about the hotel and TJ and Ari that needs to be told again, where we survived and we're obviously alive uh, for that Final yeah. Four in Indianapolis. So we got to tell some Final Four stories coming up yeah. on the subsequent show next week. Is that a deal? Is that a date? I'm, I'm down. Deal. Deal. I'm down. <laughs> I love it. Hey, thank you for reminiscing with me here, my friend. I always appreciate it. No problem. 
All right. Thanks for having me. There is Ari Russell. My thanks also to Kenny Anderson, the former Georgia Tech All-American. Mr. Chibs uh, with us talking 1990 Final Four. And all the way back at the beginning of the show, my buddy Dave Woloshin, the longtime voice of the Memphis Tigers, the Memphis State Tigers, and all their Sweet 16 and Elite Eight memories that he was sharing. Again, subscribe to this podcast. It comes automatically to you through iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. Just search College Basketball Coast to Coast. And you can subscribe. It'll come automatically to you, whether you found us on a social media link, however or wherever you found us. Love to have you subscribe and rate and review. That'll do it for here. No hoops, just some memories and some reminiscing. We'll do it again for the Final Four coming next weekend. Looking forward to that. Everybody stay safe, and we look forward to talking to you on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Bye.